0: From 26, this is Rachel and Katie.
1: Welcome back, listeners. This is the fourth episode of 26, and we are interviewing Rachel. Rachel is the co-host, and we are diving into her life and her experience with epilepsy and why she wants to be part of our community. This is a little bit different. It's a lot like the last episode where I was interviewed by her. Hello,
0: Rachel. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hi, Katie. I've been really thinking about this all week. And I'm kind of like, I just want to get it done with. Understandable. Nothing like an interview looming over your head. I mean, because this interview is like it's going to be emotional. And I've, you know, I love talking about Joe and I love sharing our story together. I'm really looking forward to, you know, answering some of these questions that you came up with that I really haven't been asked in this much depth before, really diving into what my experience was living, dating, being a partner to somebody who had epilepsy. I'm
1: I am really, really excited about this interview. Um, because A, I get to hear your responses to my questions that I made for you regarding that, living with someone that has epilepsy, and then B, actually taking in that information and processing it as an epileptic myself. So this is beyond amazing and thank you for opening yourself up to this. This is very deep to our listeners. Rachel's connection with epilepsy is probably a lot deeper than many of us will ever understand. Even though we live with the disease, she lives with it in a completely different way. And I'm going to start with my first question,
0: and that is How did you meet Joe? I love this story. So prepare for a rant. <laughs> Joe and I met in June of 2016 picture this my family and I were in Scotland for the very first time we were on the North Coast 500 whiskey trail around Scotland so I'm they- Scottish too so I love this Yay. yes we're going on a trip soon yes let to go they're not open yet still but maybe <laughs> this month I heard rumors we started in Edinburgh We flew in there and then we did a road trip that ended all the way in Glasgow. So all the way around the North of Scotland and back down to Glasgow. During this whole trip, we had a van and we had so many suitcases. I mean, I think we had like 10 suitcases. It was ridiculous. And (laughs) I had this tiny little slot at the very back of the van that I was smudged between all the suitcases and the wall of the car. And I had this hot vent. I was always cold in Scotland. I didn't bring any warm clothes. (laughs) I thought a summer in Scotland was going to be like this sunny Italy vacation. (laughs) And I was so wrong. I don't know why I thought that. (laughs) So all I had this whole trip was this super lightweight rain jacket. And that was it. And so whenever we were in the car on the road in between places, I'd have then blast the heat and so I'd have that hot vent on me in my little cocoon and I was asleep for most of the road trip I would they would stop the car sometimes I would get out sometimes I wouldn't and I would go back to sleep but it was great it was great definitely caught up on sleep after the night out in Edinburgh and our next stop on the journey was Dufton and Dufton is in the northeast of Scotland. It is part of Speyside and it is the whiskey capital of the world. There's like more whiskey distilleries there than anywhere else in that, in that small, small town. And- We're going there. Yes, not what we expected. It was a very sleepy town. And I think us and a group of Germans were the only tourists in the entire town that night or that, that day when we arrived, we went to a distillery. We did a lovely tour of the grounds and did whiskey tasting. And it was just something that we could not handle. Only my mom was really enjoying the experience. And I have a great appreciation for whiskey. The process is beautiful. I, I can't do it. You only have water to wash it down with. My grandma was uh she poured all of the different aged whiskies into one, which is like <laughs> the biggest no-no. No, no, you're got going to be
1: different. Yeah.
0: And she and she, she goes, Here you go. Hands hands us the dram full of six different <laughs> nice whiskies. When she first tasted one of the whiskeys, she said, Whew. I could rub this on my source, (laughs) it was so bad. So we definitely made our presence there. And after that, we were supposed to that evening go on a 13 distillery tour crawl. Holy moly. And we were like- We We will not do that. (laughs) We will not do that. Yeah, that's it was incredible whiskey, just, just something that not everyone can handle what an experience. I couldn't imagine being able to go to an actual
1: Scottish whiskey distillery, see the process, taste it, taste the vintage. That's something that not a lot of people get to
0: experience. But when we go back, we'll do the, we'll do the crawl. We'll do it for me to have a seizure though. (laughs) (laughs) It's yeah, it was, so we went back to our Airbnb and we had, nothing else planned for this town and we were there two nights a stone tower mm-hmm. and there was one restaurant open we pulled up into town we were hungry and we walk into the stewart arms there was a bartender waiter named joe there six seven gorgeous oh
1: ho ho <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. And my family and I walk in and the German tourists also found the restaurant. So it was basically us and the group of German tourists in the back being obnoxious. (laughs) And uh, Joe comes to our table. I picture me in a uh, turtleneck that I begged my sister um, to steal from her suitcase because I brought nothing warm and a tartan which is plaid hat. So I was the epitome of tourists. My, we were all wearing like, my dad had a camera around his neck. I mean, we were just tourists. So, so, my grandma was, was asking Joe, is there, you know, is there any place around here where, yeah, the girls and the boys gather around and they dance and they sing songs. And Joe gave her a look and was like, uh, no. Like, <laughs> we have none of that. <laughs> the, the closest place is like an hour away <laughs> to I like go out. We don't have anything. I thought Joe was really cute. And my sister, as we were leaving the restaurant, took out my business card. I had business cards because my grandma would always buy me business cards with like my full resume, CV on there. You know, Rachel Byer neuroscience major and all, all this other uh Rotorac Club vice president and all this stuff on there sister took the card put I'm 21 winky face referring to me because I was 21 at the time and left it for Joe the next day the next morning I get an email and the email was titled clumsy waiter and I was like this is spam. I didn't want to open it. Uh-huh. But then I clicked on it and oddly enough, it was from Joe. <laughs> it sounded like total spam. <laughs> and so we talked a little bit through the day, emailing back and forth when it came to the evening and we were back in Dufton after seeing the Loch Ness Museum. My sister and I went on a hike and we got very, very lost into town of course she finally found enough bars to call her boyfriend at the time now her current husband okay Sean and they were just having such a sweet conversation in my head I was thinking you know I wish someday that you know I would have the opportunity to fall in love I picked up a white dandelion on the side of the road and like wished that and I blew it out Yes. And the next person I saw was Joe. (laughs) No joke. (laughs) And and why I had why I saw Joe again was because night number two, it was still the only restaurant open in town. And we walk on in and Joe had just sent me an email to see if like I wanted to hang out later. And two seconds later I walked through the door with my sister and my grandparents and my parents, the, the gang's back. He was so nervous. He, we sat at the same table, he came over and he was holding a glass, glasses of water and they were just shaking. Water oh, so was going everywhere as he placed them on our table and we barely gave each other any eye contact. I was beet red, Brittany kept elbowing me. <laughs> Brittany at one point pushed me, my sister pushed me towards the bar to order a drink. And um, I go up and he's at the bar and I asked for a Guinness, of course, because that's my go to drink. And he said, I didn't think you were a Guinness type of girl. And I had no reply because I (laughs) am not a flirt. Love it. (laughs) So I just sort of giggled and said, Well, I am. I walked away. So yeah, we had a very special humiliating meal, but it was really fun. Joe comes up and we have a hug goodbye and he says, Would you fa- would you fancy going to have a drink later? And I said, What? Because I didn't understand his accent. <laughs> and I, I still
1: what was that? Did he say, Would you fancy going to have a drink later? Yeah. Oh,
0: yes. And I still like I, I struggled at the beginning understanding like the the Highland Scottish Highland accent and I, I can't replicate it myself. So sorry Joe for the voiceovers. Um so I said yes. And later that night when he was off his shift, the whole restaurant had closed down. They started a roaring fire. He picked me up from my Airbnb. Grandma was peeking out the window to make sure he checked out okay. She checked his car. I hopped in his car and he zoomed off opposite side of the road too. He always said it was the opposite side of the road, but he was so nervous. He didn't speak to me and, I, and he was going so fast. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what's happening? He's not saying anything, but he was so nervous, but could be me. Like, right. <laughs> where are we going and he skids right into the, the front of the steward arms and we we're, were back there again and then we have drinks and everything's great and we're getting to know each other having drinks by the fire and oh. it was very romantic yeah and the manager let us stay forever and they were watching us in the back and then um we went on a stroll outside the weather was holding up pretty well and then it started raining so we frolicked back literally frolicked back to the car spinning in the rain <laughs> then we had our first kiss and- really yeah <laughs> oh, not wasting any time not wasting any time I felt such a strong connection with Joe and it, it was so mutual like just instant instant connection then we had to say goodbye later that or early the next morning i went to this other town on the east coast and we stayed at a castle and it was super haunted and our room was the the most haunted room of the castle my sister wanted to stay there and so i didn't sleep at all there were two twin beds i made Brittany let me cuddle next to her in the twin bed because I will not even stay in the twin bed a few (laughs) feet away from her. I felt like I was seeing things and I was hearing things. And meanwhile, I'm texting Joe back and forth on WhatsApp. And he was just a great source of comfort during that. But when we were in like the one part of the castle, I think it was like the dungeon. It was like a really dark, stony room. I joked that he should come visit me in glasgow in a few days next thing i knew he booked his trains three days later saw him in glasgow he took a three or four hour train oh bless you. We to glasgow met him at the hotel lobby we just had a blast night out mm-hmm. my sister tracked us and sat at our table multiple times you two just went out or did your sister go out with you well we went out with if we had a whole family dinner okay <laughs> and then we had and then joe and i went out but my sister would like track my phone okay that's what i thought oh, when was to. To me, i thought that's what you meant was just
1: make sure that she knew where you were out oh
0: she, she knew where i was yeah <laughs> she somehow knew where i was and found us every time and joined the table and it was great fun so that we were in contact ever since oh i should mention that in glasgow that's where he things moved really fast that's where he asked me to be his girlfriend okay okay so that's where it became like you guys
1: are going to stay in contact Mm. and I know you've got to leave and I want you okay
0: yes okay I just can't tell you describe like just how I I mean it was just so exciting 21 he was 19 won your whole family over won you over
1: Mm -hmm. awesome that's a great story a good story whiskey's involved travel is involved family is involved now with that so he asked you to be your girlfriend before you left so how long into the relationship was it When Joe told you about his epilepsy diagnosis, did he tell you right away or did he kind of wait for you to say, yes, you be his girlfriend and then tell you?
0: So I should say that when he asked me to be his girlfriend, he first said, I've got to ask you something. And I was really nervous. (laughs) We were just before that he was, uh, we were walking down the street and um, he, he came like, 20 pounds which is like 30 bucks to to a guy like a homeless guy on the street and just so sweet and then um, we went to go get pizza a second dinner he asked what pizza I said and I said like like the meat lovers and then he got down on one knee and I was so embarrassed and my heart fluttered I thought he was like (laughs) it was a total (laughs) joke but he kept me on my toes so when we were at the at the hostel and he said he had to ask me something I'm like oh boy he's like but first I've got to tell you something that's important and I was like okay I'm like oh gosh like what is this is does he he have a kid does he is he yeah yeah does he have a kid I don't know about exactly going on you know and yeah he told me right there Okay, so he basically told you, like, you guys, you were getting together with an epileptic if you chose to date him, so. Yes, and in my mind, I was like, why is he? Whatever. Yeah, I was kind of like, whatever, like, <laughs> you know, it's it's not like leukemia. I'm like, okay, like, but you have controlled. It didn't mean a whole lot to me, but I was like, maybe it should mean something, you know what I mean? Okay, so right out of the gate, you knew that. He had
1: epilepsy and had seizures, but were you were under the impression that they were controlled. So how long were you two together, Earthside? About three years. Three years. If you don't mind, could you kind of describe or tell me about your first experience with Joe and his epilepsy and how you felt if you did witness a seizure and how you felt? witnessing that seizure of your loved one? Did you, you know, get scared? Did you kind of just like freeze and time just kind of like passed? Or were you just like, okay, like this is a seizure or did you kind of like freak out like, oh my gosh.
0: So my first encounter with his epilepsy was two and a half years later in Mexico. We were in Mexico, we were on Christmas vacation We were taking a nap after a long day in the sun and ocean and I, he fell asleep before me. I was drifting up, but I was, it felt like I was being poked. And so I woke up, he was like doing this next to me. So I'm kind of jerking, like, like his fists were kind of crawled under his chin and, but they were just very, very light jerks. And I tapped Joe and he woke up right away and I said, what was that? And he said, what was what? I said, this is what you were doing. You were making like these jerking movements with your fist. Was that a seizure or beginning of a seizure? And he said, no, no, no. I was, I was dreaming about having a seizure. And I was like, okay, weird. The next day, the same thing happened.
1: So you were basically kind of just like weirded out, just kind of like, okay, you weren't scared you didn't go into panic mode. You weren't too worried
0: at that point after seeing
1: or experiencing that.
0: I, I've witnessed one seizure in my life and it was a full-blown tonic-clonic. A girl in my middle school dropped from her chair and went on to pure full-body convulsants and stiffening. Mm-hmm. This was just more like he his fists were a stiff a little bit and moving but I poked him and he woke up right away so I was like When he said he was dreaming about it, I just put it out of my mind. I'm like, oh, weird. Okay. Like, yeah, you've had experienced tonic-clonic growing up. Like, of course you'll have dreams about it. You know, you went through a really tough time and okay, I get it. When it happened the next day though, um, when we were falling asleep, this time I poked him Mm -hmm. and he didn't come out of it. And I poked him again and finally he came out of it. And I said, what was that? you did that yesterday, but this time you didn't wake up right away. And he's like, oh, it's like nothing. Like I was just dreaming about it. And I'm like, no, Joe, like that looks different. And I felt really scared. Okay. And I said, Joe, that doesn't look right. And he said, I, it felt like the beginning, like the feeling he would get maybe an aura, like in the pre state. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If do you know if that can be like an aura?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, like, um, you can get little jerks. Uh, like I get tracking with my eyes where it's, I'm, you can get a little jerk of an arm and I'm sure it had to do with the beginning of whether it be a complete full-blown seizure, whether it be a seizure itself or an aura.
0: You know, honestly, part of me wishes that it was a full-blown seizure because then I would have
1: known known
0: for sure. You know, I think a lot of in a lot of ways he was trying to protect me. So after that happened, I asked him about his medication. Have you been taking it consistently? He said, no, I haven't been super consistent about it. Like I haven't, I didn't remember to take it like the last couple of days. And so I'm like, you need to take that now. And he did. And I was crying and I told him, I haven't outgrown epilepsy like you and I thought and that you really need to see a doctor and you need to be consistent with your medication you have to promise me you promise me that you will take this every day I I, I said like if anything ever happened to you and I didn't even know what I was talking about because I've never heard of like SUDEP or unexpected death from epilepsy death from epilepsy like was not even something I think no about. you are scared I was just scared I was just like this feels wrong and I I can never let anything happen to you, you know? So I was really confused. And so that whole day I just was so off. He like oh. showered and stuff. And I, I, meanwhile, I was on my computer. I was researching as much as I could about his medication and about epilepsy. And this was the first time in our relationship, like i would actually researched epilepsy. Okay. That, that was going to be my next,
1: not my next question, but it was going to be one of my questions is. Once you learned he had epilepsy, did you try to educate yourself as much as possible on your own? Or did you just go at the flow of the information he had given you? And the clearly answers that is you went with the flow of information given to you. And then once it started to not feel right in your gut and you were witnessing things with him that were making you scared, which were making you cry, which were making you feel like I don't want to lose him and you're doing your own research about epilepsy to learn on your own about what this disease really is as an epileptic I think our number one goal is to seriously protect the ones that we love around us he didn't want to scare you he yeah he didn't
0: no thinking back I'm shocked that I didn't look more into it maybe I looked a little bit about like the different of course you know Having a background in neuroscience, we would look at seizure activity in the past and, you know, basic understanding of neurotransmitters and electrical activity. But it wasn't something I specifically researched because it was never, when I say it was never part of our relationship, it was like going through bullying as a child. And you reflect on that, and it was a painful past but he never, he was controlled. I i knew he took medication. I knew what medication he took, but that's about it. That's all we, okay, so speaking your experience and my
1: husband's experience, exact same thing. That's all my husband knew was what I would tell him. I'm, I'm probably gonna have, you know, I have epilepsy. Yeah. I take medicine, hey. There you go. <laughs> That's what yeah. you get. But the reality, the reality of epilepsy and the enormity of what epilepsy can do to a person and people that love that person is really the, the topic at hand and how and why you're involved with the epilepsy community. Can you explain a little bit about SUDEP, what exactly SUDEP is,
0: and just in a brief layman's terms. When when I found out that Joe died of SUDEP, I was like, what is SUDEP? Sudden unexpected death from epilepsy. It, it affects one in a thousand people with epilepsy and one in 150 people who have uncontrolled seizures. And these facts are directly from the Epilepsy Foundation site. What that means is that people with uncontrolled seizures like Joe are at a higher risk. Yeah, and yourself, uncontrolled seizures. Mm -hmm. The young adults are most affected by this. It seems like teenagers, 20s, 30s, there are three ways. So you don't die usually directly from the seizure. Usually there's a few ways to die. One could be like respiratory related asphyxiation, Another could be cardiac related and the other can be brain death. This grand mal seizure is a tonic-clonic seizure. And if you aren't familiar with tonic-clonic, tonic is the stiffening and clonic refers to the rhythmical jerking. Mm -hmm. So it's a full-blown, usually they find people who died from SUDEP face down. Suffers from grand mal
1: seizures which are the tonic clonics which they go completely unconscious versus petite malls where you kind of are still conscious but you just kind of blank out their face that we could they completely pass out and and also you can hurt yourself and die that way okay so yeah so yeah suit up obviously with the uncontrolled epileptic population is is not talked about, hardly at all. The grief of losing him from two years ago, does that go from guilt, anger, peace? And do you honestly feel like he might've known that epilepsy could have taken him from his loved ones, but didn't share that burden of his disease with you? If you wouldn't mind telling me about the morning that you found out that Joe had had left Earthside due to SUDA.
0: Let me start with the morning just to get that out of the way too. Joe was visiting home. He went to the University of Aberdeen as an engineering student. He went home a weekend, uh, the week before finals. Okay, so imagine he has some really stressful engineering finals coming up. Um, he was studying all weekend, and that Sunday though he was planning to go mountain biking. She asked me if like, are, is anybody around, and I said, yeah. I said, what's up? And she said, Joe died, and it it just didn't make sense. I didn't. I forgot. I guess for a moment like what the word died meant. And she told me that Joe's dad, Jeff, found um, Joe, age 22, lying face down in his bed. Actually, his foster brother, who was seven at the time, found Joe first to ask Joe something in the early in the morning, and then closed the door and was scared and didn't tell anybody. And so he was found hours after. Nothing made sense anymore. I mean, reality. I well, we can go into grief in another podcast but joe probably he had fluid in the lungs we think it was heart related i was the last but person to talk to joe on the phone he passed away probably around 8 a.m and i was there eight hours ahead so um i talked to him on the phone around like 7 30 a.m his time so like 11 11 30 my time he he really wanted to talk. And I was just had my pajamas on and said um, he really was in a lot of shoulder pain. And I was like, well, why is, you know, he always had a bad shoulder from having epilepsy in his youth and the tonic-clonic seizures and pulling ligaments. And I'm like, your shoulder's acting up again. We got to get, you know, some physical therapy. He's like, no, it's my other shoulder. And I think it was his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. And this is where like a lot of the, the, I hate being ignorant and not knowing and, and not acting like I should have. His left shoulder was in pain and that could be cardiac related. It could be a heart attack, um, early sign and I missed that. Um, it could also be because he could have had a seizure that morning. And we know he was awake early at like 6 30 AM because he sent a message to his mom and deleted it. So there's a theory that he knew he had had a pretty bad seizure, was a lot of pain and called me and protected me and didn't tell me that. The other theory is he had a seizure and didn't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 To like not even but as an epileptic you would know the feeling afterwards that you You just had one
1: in your body but you you still you want to deny it you want to deny it you want to just say no it didn't it didn't really happen if he did have one and he knew it or felt it you know because he's the one it, it, it feels like you've just ran a marathon in a sprint your whole entire body is sore everything hurts and if he felt like that then he probably knew you know it's
0: yeah it's interesting hearing from you as a you know as as an epileptic like your your perspective on the story i know just
1: from a recent experience i had a seizure and i was given my rescue meds by my husband when i woke up the next morning I didn't say anything to my husband, didn't say a thing. And I had all my oral injuries. Like my tongue was bit, I couldn't eat, um, my body hurt. I still just, I didn't say anything to him. I wasn't gonna tell him that I that I had a seizure. And literally three days passed. And he's like, so how was that seizure you had on Sunday? And I looked at him and I was like, um, oh yeah okay, and he's like, I administered your rescue meds, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, okay. so at that point in time, like he was literally waiting to see how long it was until I told him with that like that's how bad we are. that's how incredibly bad we are with trying to protect,
0: your protect. Loved ones but yeah. the, but it's not protecting I- <laughs> But I think they just try, you guys just try to protect us. We do. And it's
1: it's to no fault of either parties, our loved ones or to us as epileptics. It's just, it's a burden that we don't, he, he clearly didn't want you
0: to bear, but I'm. It just takes away opportunities to act and if, if Joe were completely transparent with me and transparent about cutting his medication because he had finals week coming up and he had to pull all nighters and he, he, you know, he his medication made him sleepy. So he would mix with Red Bulls and, and forget his medication altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, the
1: transparency. That's actually one of my, I wanted to ask you that, um, but I do, I do know, obviously with the answer about Mexico and, and what you saw in Mexico kind of being also your first experience, but I know you two love traveling and clearly traveling together, traveling separate. You were both college students. My question was, was there ever a time that you saw off behaviors or triggers, auras or mismanagement of medications? that he experienced and that concerned you. And I, I think you've gone ahead and answered that with all of those things combined, transparency, mismanagement of medications, stress, triggers, which would be stress, things like that. You, you, you start to get concerned. What can you do? You can't do a whole lot other than just kind of stay by the wayside and hope that when you talk to him, like when my husband tells, you know, tells me, you know, did you take your medicine or you need to get enough sleep or, you know, all of my triggers, like to you, like you can only hope that that he was going to take his medicine and not take, you know, pull the all-nighters. But as college students, we kind of know that that's the norm for that time in your life. So it's a really a hard balance of being that normal, successful college student, Mm -hmm. while trying to be a transparent, responsible, epileptic. You think you're invincible at that age, right? That's the exact word I was going to use. You you get the diagnosis at a young age. You have these nice long spans of being semi-controlled and things go by the wayside. It blows me away that I live like trying to be a normal college, successful kid in a relationship with a loved one. It's so hard to understand. Um, And then when you have doctors that are kind of like, no, things are are
0: good, you're doing okay. Um, Never follow up with you. When he passed away, it was a huge police investigation because his doctor who had known him had retired and the other doctor had never met him before and okay. so never really understood his diagnosis and so they had to rule out suicide first we just received his family just received the ipad i gave him that they confiscated during the investigation one week ago wow to almost three after two years later it was a nightmare on top of everything and they they were interviewing and you know they took his gadgets and and they didn't inter- no one interviewed me. The newspaper articles still were published. And I mean, I was the last one to speak with him. Like, <laughs> that is very interesting to
1: me because in the UK and Scotland, where he did pass away, they did publish multiple articles about his passing.
0: He was, yeah, like in four, five right. newspapers around Scotland. Just, it's really unbelievable. And it's, it's still surreal because... Joe isn't sick. No, no, it's that invisible chronic
1: illness that the actuality of it doesn't
0: become real ever. So am I angry at him sometimes? Oh yeah, I'm angry. And and am I am I guilty? I feel guilt just in the way I didn't do enough. And you know, I feel like I had opportunities and then sometimes I ask, no, I didn't. Have any opportunities. I wish I had more opportunities if you were more transparent, but the end of the end of the day, I did have opportunities to act, and I just didn't put two and two together. And even even after I got off that off the phone call with him and he passed away minutes after, when I asked him when he had that shoulder pain, and I said, You you've been good about taking your medication, you've been taking your medication. He said, yeah, I've been good about that, um, but I didn't take it yesterday. And I was like, well, you need to take it right now. And he couldn't find his medication. They found an expired bottle in his room. I was like, you need to go to the pharmacy right now. It's 7.30 a.m. Rachel, it's a Sunday, 7.30 a.m. The pharmacy's not open. They open later in the morning. And he was so tired. I was like, okay, why don't you sleep like 30 more minutes and then wake up and head to the pharmacy when they open at like eight or nine. Why I was so dumb, so clueless to encourage him to go back to sleep rumination in my head of why this, why that, but I could have played a better part as a quote unquote caretaker of somebody with epilepsy, not really caretaker, but loving somebody with epilepsy. I could have done my research in my part maybe made a more clear channel of communication so he felt like he could be transparent without me freaking out like i did in mexico there was no emergency plan in place Okay. i know he hadn't seen a doctor in like five years and i know i i just thought that when we live together we're together i could I could have control again, you know, I could, but I didn't even think about like emergency plans. I, I had never even heard of like an epilepsy emergency plan. You know, I just saw like, if you take your medication, you're going to be okay. He was stable for five years. Like he's going to be, continue to be stable. And now there are so many, um, there's rescue medications. There's, there's a lot bed alarms. Oh yeah. There's all sorts of detectors. That upsets me that there was no plan in place. that, that
1: And the, like, as far as, you know, parents, he was at mom and dad's house. So I know you and I interviewed last week, you interviewed me asking me if my, if my parents were helicopter parents and then which one it affected more. And I would say, you know, neither one of them were helicopter parents. So I can honestly say that that scenario would have probably and almost exactly happened the same way at my family's house back when I was in college if I came home for a college stint to study and you know was upstairs sleeping in my bedroom mom and dad aren't going to come up and bug me because you know she's getting ready for finals she's sleeping she's you know doing her thing and I think emergency plans and that kind of thing are necessary and kind of on the forefront of of epileptics'
0: lives, but they and uh, most of these gadgets aren't in every in every epileptics' household. It's unexpected death from epilepsy, hence the unexpected,
1: you know, and that's why they the stats are as staggering as they are for Suda is because it is something so unexpected with this invisible disease where these people look so incredibly strong so and can function and be brilliant and poof, just like that just like that gone it's not like oh the diabetic has to get his leg cut off and then he loses mm-hmm. his arm and then oh and then he might die of diabetes no it's like poof epilepsy will just take you
0: and he wanted to hear all about my day and my next day and I had just started a new job and everything. So I was going on and on and on. And he loved it. And oh, but he <laughs> during that conversation and over the last previous weeks because of like so many all-nighters for school and, and intense studying, he would fall asleep sometimes talking to me. And oh. I was like a little bit annoyed. Annoyed, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was my plan was to keep him awake until the pharmacy opened he started drifting asleep as I was talking I was like okay well I think this conversation is over and and then you go oh no 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 I'm awake so what what were you saying I'm like yeah you you sleep a little bit and then set your alarm and go to the pharmacy pharmacy. He's like okay okay and I was still annoyed and and he's like oh he, his eyes were completely closed and he was like I love you Aww, I love you too like our last words to each other though you know you don't get to choose that I can totally picture it too you're like facetiming and you're like yeah we're facetiming the whole phone drops I'm
1: like no. <laughs> oh my gosh that's oh oh man I know he's listening to this conversation. Hey, our listeners might think I'm crazy because I'm saying this, but I know Joe is definitely guiding this interview. (laughs) falling asleep while you're talking to him and you're like okay I'm just (laughs) gonna get off now
0: yeah the phone he'd be holding the phone above his head and then it'd fall on his face and then he'd wake up I guess I forgot I was supposed to keep him
1: by that time you were like fine you're going to
0: bed yeah now researching his medication phenytoin just how short of a half-life it is and how it doesn't stay in the system very long. Yeah. You have to take it like, you have to take it regularly and even missing one day have major consequences. Yeah. You know, in two days, it's like, it's not even in your system. Exactly. Those are things I wish I would have researched as well as the person who loves somebody with epilepsy who loves somebody you only know
1: what you know and the information you're given it's not like you're going to discredit anything that he tells you or the way that you feel and jump on google and try to figure out a different information than he's given you
0: until you can find a lot on google right i'd I'd rather hear it from joe and base it off like what how he's feeling and yeah yeah
1: and then and then if a the circumstance comes up, like when you were in Mexico and you're like, you know, this isn't really aligning with everything that you've told me about your, you know, disease and your epilepsy. And you know, you might Google a little bit and then you bring the conversation up to the person. So it's it's you loop back to like you can't do anything more than what that person has has given you as far as information, and you're not going to discredit what that person goes through as a loved one you love him and you you aren't going to make more out of something or make him feel bad for what he has so end of story conversation done information is given to you and moving forward
0: and he hated to be criticized by somebody he loved and I try and not do that I wasn't perfect by any means and I the tendency to be critical but I, I trust him. And when he said we'd always be together, we'd have each other forever. And I just trusted that. I I, I couldn't imagine life any different. Something like this wouldn't happen to me, right? Or him. Rachel, I,
1: I think that sharing this experience, and we have only kind of scratched the surface of it because we are going to get into a little bit more as our episodes and seasons go on through this podcast, we're going to get into how grief plays a role, how epilepsy can cause grief, and how we get through and how they kind of base off of each other. But knowing how epilepsy has affected you, specifically you, would you consider having a relationship, especially a romantic relationship, with another person that has an epilepsy diagnosis.
0: I think that would be really scary. Not to say I'm one way or the other, but I might have like a lot of PTSD moments or something like that. You know, first I have to consider like when I'm even ready for a relationship again a romantic relationship, I mean. Being friends with somebody with epilepsy, absolutely, I'm so glad I met you. Joe never let his epilepsy dictate who he was. I think that's such an important quality that I admire that if, if I do engage in a relationship someday that whatever they, they struggle with, like if it's a medical struggle, um, have dealt with in their lives, that it doesn't consume them. And I would take the opportunity to do my research and I'd hope that they do the same, but it would be very challenging, I think completely understandable, completely understandable,
1: and having friends and being an advocate for our community, you truly are the epitome of epilepsy awareness. Sharing your journey, not as an epileptic, but as someone who is someone who's a loved one, your loved one has been lost. Most of the time when people share their journey of epilepsy, they share their journey of epilepsy through how they have their seizures. This is a different side of epilepsy that a lot of people don't hear about, a lot of people don't talk about. I feel like with you sharing this side of epilepsy, advocacy and awareness, you are retreating into yourself and into your grief, allowing that to literally save people's lives in the future by giving this information by laying yourself out there and saying this stuff i could have asked more questions i could have learned more i I took what he said anyone listening to this right now that has a loved one that has epilepsy just listen just listen to what rachel has to say you Can literally be a lifesaver if you just understand triggers, understand warning signs, ask questions. Rachel, can't thank you enough for being on this side of the spectrum of epilepsy and speaking out and being an advocate for us. Because I honestly, I don't think without meeting a person that's been through. This, I wouldn't even know what my family would go through if I were to ever die of a seizure. You are the reason why I question, have I taken my medicine? Have I done this? Have I done that? Why? Because I live parallel lives, but I'm still alive. And I have you to be my reminder, like you are the advocate you Rachel you are a true you're saving you're going to you're you're saving lives. You're you're changing lives, you're changing epileptic's mentalities. I hope that a lot of epileptics hear this episode and really listen to your words and take to heart what it's like from someone that is on that other end, that other person that they loved and cared about so much. Taken them from them so quickly,
0: so easily, I need to go get the tissue box, gosh dang, you're so sweet. I do it for Joe when Joe died, I thought I was gonna die too, like it was I just it prof it was profound, and it still is profound. Two years later, I'm carrying it with me better. It's always there, Again. the grief and his photos everywhere and I have his voice messages and so many memories to think about. I carry him with me. And this podcast, I think, is a really special opportunity to talk about, like you said, epilepsy from two sides of the spectrum, Mm
1: -hmm. very
0: different experiences. But we're here because we care. We want more people to feel better and to be their best selves and live a life like Joe is very much intertwined in our
1: decisions. I don't know how to say it, I mean, without being completely weird, but I I think it's like a natural phenomenon, you know, when people are brought together and stories are brought forefront and healing is done and, you know, pain is brought up and more healing is done. And that goes for both people. Cause again, I I think often about my mother in Joe's mother's shoes, my husband in your shoes, my son in your shoes, these different scenarios. And you know, without your perspective, I probably wouldn't be nearly as responsible as I am. Holding you accountable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are. And and I'm the older one in the relationship. If you have any topic ideas, questions, or research you are curious about, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a message on our Instagram account, 26podcast, or email us at info at 26.org. Thank you for listening.